This message was recorded live at Elevate Church in Erie, Pennsylvania. As followers of Christ, we follow a God who was crucified, dead, buried, got up, walked out of the tomb, demonstrating that there's nothing that you and I can't walk out of. He doesn't love me based on my performance. God loves me based on my position. It matters so much that we imitate Christ and we live out those principles. There's nothing that you could do. There's, there's no great sin that you could have ever committed that would be a barrier between you and Jesus. To learn more about Elevate, how you can get connected, or how you can support the work that Elevate is doing in Erie, visit elevatechurch.com. Hey, can we go ahead and before we even dive in, can we settle something this morning? This whole um, Yanny Laurel thing is out of control, all right? And so I just want to get your opinion. I'm trying to do a survey of our church and just kind of see where everybody falls into, into place. So can we go ahead and play this real quick? Laurel. All right, so who heard Laurel raise your hand? Stop it, you did not. Like, I do have an explanation for that. If you say, you, let's play that one more again, one more time. Laurel. Like, who heard Yanny raise your hand? Yeah, that's what I hear. I don't know about you. If you heard Laurel, I have an explanation, though, for that. I believe you have the spiritual gift of interpretation of tongues, all right? And so, I guess just kind of embrace that. Actually, I hear something, I hear something completely different. I don't know about you. One more time, let's listen to it. Colby. What? You hear anything? It just sound, it sounds different to me. I don't, I don't get the whole thing. Um, hey, tonight we are hosting a, an Elevate East interest meeting. If you have um, something was birthed inside of you when you heard that we were gonna plant a campus out on the east side and you got some questions or, or maybe you have an entrepreneurial kind of pioneering type of spirit and you'd like to be in on the ground floor of that, I invite you to come back tonight at 4 p.m. We're gonna answer some of those questions, but we are in week two of a series called Running With Giants, week two. And I'm so excited about this series because really we're talking about these giants of the faith, these giants that went before us and what we can learn from them. In fact, our theme verse for this series is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. It says this, it says, therefore, and therefore means this is a continuation of a thought from a previous chapter. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? Witnesses right now are these great men and women of the faith that are watching you, watching me, as we run our race. So if you've ever had the question, do people in heaven see what we're doing? This verse clearly says that they do. They're watching you. They're cheering you on. There's this great cloud of these men and women of the faith that are watching us. So then, since they're there, let us, and the Bible, uh, this should be encouraging to you, recognizes that our life race is tough. It says, so let us throw off everything that slows us down, everything that would keep us back, everything that would hurt us from running the race that's marked out for us, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run this race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. This series uh, comes from a guy named Dr. John Maxwell. Many of you have heard uh, the name before. He's a leadership guru. He's wrote dozens and dozens of books on leadership. He wrote a book called Running With the Giants. He also wrote another book called uh, Learning from the Giants where he pulls out some of these characters 
as well. But the big idea is that there's this, this cloud of witnesses, this cheering section, cheering you on, like supporting you, like, like watching you as you run your life race. You could say there's, there's kind of fans in the stands, right? Pom-poms in hand saying, go for it, go for it. You can do it. The problem is, however, like if you've ever like been running in a race or you run track or anything like that, and you hear people cheering for you, like that's great, but you can't make out what they're saying. Like you can't decipher the individual voices and the words of wisdom that they might be speaking. So this idea is that what if one at a time we pull out these great men and women of faith out of the stands, put them in the race with you, and they were to take one lap around the track right alongside of you, one lap with you in your life race, what would they tell you? What are the words of wisdom that they would give you? So it's a series really designed to help you, to help you run your race well, to help me run my race well, but also another great benefit of this series, it's gonna help you learn your Bibles because we're gonna have to do a lot of digging to pull out some stories on these characters. And if you were here last week, we talked about Sarah. We pulled her out of the stands and we learned a lot of encouragement from her, things like how to, how to remain patient, how to persevere this week, we're pulling out her grandson, all right? His name is Jacob. Jacob is a grandson of Sarah, uh, and it, Jacob had a very interesting life. In fact, we could probably do this whole series on Jacob alone. There's tons about this guy in God's word, but if we're gonna draw anything from Jacob, it really would be this, how to respond when life isn't turning out quite like you hoped. When things aren't going the way that you thought they would, because Jacob is guilty of something that every single one of us in this room are guilty of. In fact, I'm not throwing the guys under the bus, but maybe a little. Um, you and I, we wrestle with this more so, and even the young people uh, are, are guilty of this, and that is wanting to control our lives, wanting to be in the, the driver's seat, wanting to have, have control over the terms of our life and direct it and drive it ourselves. And Jacob, his life wasn't turning out kind of the way that he'd hoped. So he tried to manipulate it. He tried to make things work out the way he wanted them to. And the funny thing is, and any of you that have lived long enough, you realize this, is that the more you try to reach for control, oftentimes the less control you have. And Jacob learned this. And literally from, from birth, I'm talking about the second he was born, he was reaching for control. If you know the story, he was a, a twin. His twin brother's name was Esau, and, and Esau came out first. However, Jacob didn't like that, so he reaches out of the womb, which is super weird, grabs him by his heel and is like, get back in here, sucker, I'm going first, right? And so right from the beginning, he's trying to manipulate, he's trying to make things work out the way that he wants to from day one. And that really ended up being how the rest of his life actually looked. And what's interesting about Jacob and what's interesting about your life probably as well is that on multiple occasions, God reached out to him. God tried to, to get him to go all in and he would have these these kind of mini encounters, these, these small encounters with God where he'd work some stuff out. This might sound familiar. Work some things out of your life, but he never went all in. He was writing his, his own story. 
And many of you are doing the same thing. You're writing your own story over the story that God has already written about your life. And you and I, what we'll try to do is grab control and, and script out our own future. And when we do that, it just gets more and more messy. And that's Jacob's story. And if that's where you are today, I'm praying that this message will speak to those of you that are just reaching for control. In fact, the firstborn thing, he wanted that so badly, um, he, he tricked his brother Esau to, to giving him his birthright with a bowl of soup. If you know that, that story as well, you can look this up in, in Genesis. It's like 27 and following from, from his birth on. But he tricked him, you know, his, he let his appetite, Esau let his appetite, like he traded his future for his appetite. That's, that's crazy. There's a lesson in that all in of itself because we'll do the same thing. We'll oftentimes, you know, trade what's, what's better for us, what's, what's greater for us in the future for what we want right now in the moment. That's what Esau would tell us not to do. Don't do that. But Jacob tricked him into that, that moment, into that exchange. In fact, when Jacob eventually got married, that was a debacle too. He wanted to marry one daughter. The father-in-law gave him the older daughter first, which was their custom, and that, that kind of thing turned out of control. And ultimately, Jacob ends up in this crisis moment, this, this, this defining moment of his, his life that could have been avoided. And I'm telling you this because you and I, we can either learn these crises the hard way by going through them, or we can learn from these past men and women of faith and avoid them, and I'm telling you, option B is a whole lot better. And if Jacob was to say one thing to us, I want you to jot this down to keep us from experiencing these, these moments of crisis, these moments of chaos in our lives, he would tell us this, give the creator of all control over all. That would be, I think, the big thing. If you pulled Jacob out of the stands and he took one lap with you, one lap with me in our life race, he would say, hey, I tried to do this my own way. I gave God a little bit here and there, but you need to give the creator of all control over all. Stop calling the shots. Stop trying to, to get things to work out the way you want them to. Try, stop trying to manipulate every situation. Just trust God. Now listen to me. Christians are guilty of not doing this. I'm not giving God everything. People that, that go to church, you know, and we call themselves a, a Christian, we, we aren't confident enough in God to just let go of it all. What we'll say oftentimes is, all right, well, you know, I, I, I wanna be a Christian. I'll take, the, I'll take the, you know, get out of hell free card. I'll take the fire insurance part of being a Christian, but don't mess with my stuff. Don't mess with my career. Don't mess with my, my future. Don't mess with my things. I have, I'm confident that God can save me, but I'm not confident enough to let him control my life, to surrender everything to him. And if you've ever done that, or if you're doing that right now, take a lesson from Jacob. It always leads to crisis. And whether or not God creates the crisis he will allow a crisis in your life and use a crisis to grab your attention. And that's what he does with Jacob. And the truth is, some of you this morning, you're in it. Like in a church this size, you're, there are people in this room, you are going through a, a school of testing in your life right now. You are in a crisis, but 
you're too stubborn to allow God to have control over it. And Mother Teresa, I love this quote, she said, you will never know God is all you need until he's all that you have. And that is so true. And for a lot of us, uh, we get to that point of crisis and I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be a good pastor and let you know that you don't have to get to that point, that you and I can learn from these men and women of faith who have gone before us so that the, the, the past doesn't have to repeat itself completely in our lives. And the bottom line is if you surrender control to God, if you do, there are three things that will happen. These are pulled straight from this encounter that Jacob has with God, this face-to-face moment. If you wanna jot these down, it happened at a place called uh, Peniel or Peniel, however you wanna say it, but it literally means face-to-face. It was this moment that he had with God. And this is what the first thing that will happen in this encounter with God is you will receive, write it down, a new strength. That moment of face-to-face encounter with God where you finally start to surrender control of your life, you'll receive a new strength. So you don't have to rely on your own. I'll say it this way. So you don't have to build your resume. You don't have to to worry about your career. You don't have to worry about building yourself up, your reputation, right? Well, I I need to be successful, Colby. I need to to make money, you know, so so we can be happy. The only place you'll ever find true happiness is when you stop trying to live this life in your own strength and you live it in the strength that God has given you because you'll discover your strength isn't cutting it Anyway, and that's what Jacob found in this encounter. Let's look at the story in Genesis chapter 32. This is kind of the the climax of Jacob's life is this encounter with God. And the Bible tells us starting in verse 24, it says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. Now, let me explain that to you real quick. After his whole wedding deal, he was going back to meet his brother that he had tricked him into giving his birthright. And this whole time, Jacob's thinking Esau is gonna kill me. He wants to kill me, he wants to murder me, there's no way I'm going back, but he eventually comes to this moment where he has to go back. And before he meets his brother, what he does is he splits his family up. He says, all right, half of you go, right, uh, to to this side of this uh, this kind of river, the other half we're gonna stay back here, thinking that if he's gonna kill them, he's only gonna get half of them kind of thing. So he sends them back and he is left all by himself in this camp, and it says, and a man came and wrestled him. Now man, this word means God. It's either God or it is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, which happened throughout the Old Testament. A lot of times in the Bible as you're reading, it says the Lord of heaven's armies. That's, That's Jesus. Like when Jesus comes back, he's like on a, on a white horse. You know, he is the king of kings. He's the Lord of Lord. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. So this is either God or it's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus and he's wrestling with him. He's having this wrestling match with God, which by the way, there are people in this room, you're wrestling with God. Like you're wrestling with God even this morning. Maybe on some things in your, your life, you're wrestling. You're, you're in this, this match. You were wrestling with God this week. You know, should I go out with the girls on Friday? You know, should we, should we go to the club? Should we, you know, Thirsty Thursday? You know, I'm wrestling with what do I do? You know, I got, I got one foot in, I got one foot out. You're in this wrestling match with, with God. It says a man, God, and he began to wrestle with him until the dawn began to break. 
So he's wrestling with God because he's trying to control what God has ultimately created. He wrestled with him until dawn began to break. Now watch this. When the man saw or God saw that you weren't going to give up. We need to learn a lesson here from Jacob that you weren't going to give in. Hey, listen, when God brings some pain into your life, don't give in, dig in. Like learn from Jacob. He wouldn't let go. He held on to that in that, that moment. He said he would not let him win. So God touched Jacob's hip and popped that sucker out of socket. He's saying, look, you think you're tough, but I'm gonna show you, in fact, just how tough you are. You're not that tough. In fact, you're pretty weak. And I'm telling you, in this encounter, God is gonna, and I think he's giving this invitation to us today, that we can have a new strength, a new strength for, for living. And I, I don't know who this is for in this room, but there's so many people, you're just so self-reliant. Like you got it all, you can do it all, you're, you're so independent, you know, you don't need anyone's help, and, and here's how, how you know, you're doing everything, you're so self-reliant, and you're worn out. You're wiped out, you're tired, you, you're, you're exhausted, because you're trying to do everything in your own strength. Some of you came to church this morning exhausted, tired from fighting in your own strength. And this is what Jesus would say. He came along in Matthew chapter 11, and he says this to me. He says this to you, to every single one of us. He says, all of you who are weary, anyone who's tired, anyone who is burdened, anybody who seems to be carrying this load by yourself, we know you're tired. And he says, come to me, and I will give you, what's this word? Rest. That's an important word. We're gonna talk more about that word. But if you don't know what comes next in this verse, you might think, all right, well, the answer, if he says, come to me and I'll give you rest, you know, you think the next thing he's gonna say is, well, take a nap, chill out, you know, relax, take a break. But that's not what he says. In fact, Jesus says the very opposite. He doesn't say, you know, just, just take a break. He says, in fact, get to work. Get back to work, but look at it. You need to work in a different way. You need to take my yoke upon you. Everybody know what a yoke is? The, the, there's actually two different kinds of yoke. A yoke is, is that it was kind of this wooden structure with two holes in it that you would put animals into so that they would plow the same row together. You put your oxen in it, you put your cattle in it just to make sure that they weren't fighting and fussing, but they would just kind of get together and plow this same row. Row, but this word for yoke is not the generic kind of yoke because there were two kinds. One was the kind that you would go down to the Israeli tractor supply and pick up, all right? You know what I'm saying? It would be like a generic yoke, one size fits all. You know, you just put it on your oxen and you go. The problem with a one size fits all kind of yoke is that at the end of the day, they would be bruised and bleeding and just kind of all, all jacked up from operating under a yoke that wasn't custom fit for them. So this word that Jesus is talking about is a different kind of yoke. This would be the yoke that the farmers that cared about their animals, that loved their cattle, that loved you know, their, their plow animals would go get one especially uh, designed for them. They'd have their necks measured, they'd have their chest measured, their shoulders measured, and Jesus being a carpenter probably would have made these to 
don't miss this, to perfectly fit that animal. And that's what he's saying. That's the kind of yoke. He's saying, I have a yoke that perfectly will fit you. Some of you, you are living this life or you are living a life that doesn't perfectly fit. And that's why you're feeling tired. That's why you're trying to do it in your own strength. You're, you're working and it's wearing you out, but that's not what he's talking about. God's yoke is a yoke that will give you rest even though while you're working, it's not gonna wear you out. You're working, you're just doing it with a different kind of strength. That's why throughout the Bible, uh, an indication of, of God's presence in someone's life is rest. It's this, it's this supernatural kind of, of peace and, and rest in their life. Um, rest has nothing to do with, with inactivity. Rest has nothing to do with, with being lazy. Rest has to do with the condition of your soul. Rest is that while I'm working, I'm not getting weary. While I'm working, it's not wearing me out. That's why we have verses like those whose hope in the Lord, they will renew, he will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like, what's the word? Eagles, right? And soar. have you ever watched an eagle fly? Like, they fly without flapping. You know what I'm talking about? They just kind of soar. They just kind of glide. In fact, eagles are notorious for, you know, living around these like high rocky peaks and areas where there's lots of wind. So these thermals will kind of just carry them up and they're just gliding, not in and of their own strength. Kristen and I, we took the boys out to a, 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 an RV trip a couple of years ago, which everyone said, don't do. RV stands for ruined vacation. Don't do it. We didn't listen to them. And they were wrong, by the way. We loved it. It was kind of one of the best trips that we ever uh, have taken with our boys. But we went up through like Utah, up through Wyoming, up to Yellowstone, all that kind of stuff. But in Wyoming, we went down, I think it was the Snake River that's by the Grand Tetons. And so we're doing this like float trip with our boys. We come around this corner and there's this bald eagle. And it's just, I had this, I had this like patriotic moment. I'm like, my country tis, you know, I got the... Tetons in the bag, there's this bald eagle, but he gets out of the nest and just like one flap, boom, and he's just flying. He's just soaring. And, and compare that to some other birds, right? They're working real hard. They're like, you know, kind of going everywhere. I think my boys brought home yesterday a, a baby uh, or a hummingbird's nest kind of thing, and it was tiny. And they're flapping, they're working real hard to do anything. Can I be honest? Some of you, you're flapping real hard. And you need to make up your mind, are you going to allow, uh, are you going to use your own strength to soar or will you allow the power of the Holy Spirit to lift your life? Because that's what he's talking about, that we will have a, a new strength, that we will mount up on wings like eagles. But that only happens when you give the creator of all control over all. And the first thing you'll find is a new strength for living. The second thing is this, write it down, you'll get a new identity a new name, uh, more accurately speaking, the name you were always meant to have, the identity that you were always designed for. God will redeem, is what that word means, your purpose in life. That he'll put you back to his original intention for you because you and I, we start writing our own script. We start you know, kind of writing over the, 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 the story that God has written and God wants to take you in this encounter and bring you back and give you a new 
identity. Look at the next thing that, that uh, God said in verse 27. He asked Jacob, watch, I think this is funny, what's your name? Now, real quick, God knew his name. He didn't have to ask him his name, but I don't want you to miss this. He's going to make you come face to face with the identity that you've created, with the story that you're writing. Because do you know what Jacob means? It means deceiver. It means trickster. God looked him in the eye, face to face, said, what's your name? He's like, I'm a deceiver. I'm a trickster. I'm the guy that's always going to manipulate things. I'm the guy that's always going to get it done my own way. God will do that to you in this encounter. He'll make you come face to face with the story that you've been writing for your life, with the name that you've been calling yourself. He said, my name is Jacob. Watch what God says next. He says, no, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. I didn't create you to be Jacob. I created you for a different purpose. He says, from now on, you're going to be called a prince, a prince with God. That's what Israel means. He changes his name from, from deceiver to now being this prince with God because you've had this encounter, because you've had this face-to-face -face moment with me. You fought with God and with men and have won. And you need to know this because something that, that we need to understand is God doesn't just see your present condition. He sees your potential. In fact, he sees the plans that he has for your life. You could say it this way. He doesn't see actualities. He sees possibilities. He knows how he's designed you and created you. And he looks at you and he says, man, I know where you're headed. I know that story that you're writing. That's not the story I have for you. In fact, the story I have for you is much better than the one that you're writing. In fact, all throughout scripture, you'll see whenever God encounters someone, he takes the bad story that they're writing and he makes it right. He takes the bad story, the bad identity that, that you are writing over your life and he changes it and gives you a right identity. One of those examples is found in John chapter one, verse 42, when Andrew brought his brother Simon to Jesus. And this is what it said. He said, uh, he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you know, you're Simon. That's what they call you. You're Simon. You know what Simon means? It means listener or one who listens. You're Simon, son of John. But that's not who you're going to be anymore. You're now going to be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter, which you may or may not know means the rock. So in one moment, God takes Simon, who is a listener, not a doer, but just a listener, and transforms him into a doer. A listener, later on, if you know the story, Peter ends up like giving the, the first message of the early church to set the thing in motion. So here is this listener that goes to a doer, to a speaker, to the rock. And God wants to do that for you. He will change your identity. He will give you this new identity. Here's the third thing. Write it down. That happened at Peniel, at this face-to-face -face kind of encounter with God is that you'll get a new joy, a new joy. Here's what I've discovered. Joy is not circumstantial. Happiness and joy are two completely different things. Happiness, the word comes from your happenings, like you're, you're, you're happy about what's going on in your life. You're happy about how life is affecting you. Joy is not external, it's internal. And God wants to give you this new kind of joy, this, this deep, deep joy, regardless 
of what the world's throwing at you. Regardless of things that you are, are facing, he wants to give you this joy. Look what he did with Jacob. He says, uh, tell me your name. You know, Jacob responds first, you know, he's like, you know, God said, tell me your name. He's like, I'm Jacob. You're no longer Jacob. You're Israel. Now, Jacob, you know, goes back to him. Tell me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know your name. That's kind of what's going on. He says, tell me your name. And God kind of like ignores the question a little bit. He kind of just kind of skips right over it and, and kind of saying that I don't even have time. If I was to tell you all that I am, uh, we would be here all day. It says, then he just, what you need and what I need right there, he blessed him. He blessed Jacob in that moment. I was thinking about this. The first time Jacob got a blessing from his father, it was because he tricked him. The next time he got a blessing from God the Father, it was because he held on and wouldn't let go of him. That's awesome. And so this is the, the blessing that, that matters. This is the blessing that, that stuck. And he blessed him in that moment. Now this word blessed, we misunderstand this word. In fact, it is erroneously translated by many as, well, that means I'm rich. Well, that means I got stuff. If I'm blessed, I'm wealthy. If I'm blessed, you know, I, I, I have things. And that's not what that word means. You might have that and, and good for you. You know, that's, that's awesome. But that's not the word blessed. The word blessed has nothing to do with your stuff. It has nothing to do with your, your circumstances. Blessed is the word makarios, in the Greek, which means an internal joy. He wants to give you this internal joy. That's why Jesus, in his very own sermon on the mount, he's just saying, blessed are, are you will be if you do this. Blessed are, are those. You'll be blessed if you do this. It's like, how do we get that blessing? He says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be blessed. Those who, like Jacob, won't, won't let go. Those are the ones that will be Bless. So what's the point? You give your life fully to God and nothing can shake you. Whatever this world wants to throw at you, it won't shake you. You, you, might, you might experience moments of doubt and frustration, and I'm certain that you will, but you'll still have this internal joy. The, the Bible calls it this joy unspeakable on the inside. And so I think before Jacob runs back up into the stands, after he does this lap with us around the track, he would throw out kind of two final encouragements I wanna give you. He would say, don't worry when you're broken because breakthroughs come from places of brokenness. Hey, don't worry. Don't worry when things aren't kind of turning out the way that you thought or that you hoped. Like nothing will change until you, you give in, until you have this moment of brokenness in your Life And part of my job as a pastor is for you to understand better the nature of God. I think we've messed this up in the church. I think a lot of times we've, we've presented God as being this judgmental, you know, kind of desiring perfection from us in our lives. And that's not who God is. He doesn't desire us to be perfect. perfect. The one thing that God wants from you and I, you know what it is? It's humility. It's a humble heart. And this is what the Bible says. He's looking for you and me to say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I have to have you, God. I, I, I don't want to do this without you. Here I am. All of me, Psalm 51 says that a true sacrifice to God 
is not the fact that you showed up in church today. Like, great, good job. I mean, you should do that. That's, that's great. But that's not a true sacrifice. A true sacrifice of God are those who have a broken spirit. Those with a broken and a contrite heart, those who come to God that way, says God won't despise them. And you know what? Um, not only will he not despise that, he's attracted to that. He's so attracted to a humble spirit. And it'll bring you to that place of brokenness so that you and I can have a breakthrough. That's why First Peter, it says, God opposes, and by the way, you don't want God to do that to you. Like you don't want to be, you don't want to have that word connected with you and God, that God is opposing you, but he does. He opposes the proud, those that want to drive their own life, those that want control of everything, those that think they can do a better job. He'll, he will actually oppose you, and you'll find out that it's just not working, but shows favor. Hey, listen to me. That's the word you want connected with your life. The favor of God in your life to those who are humble. To those who come to God uh, teachable. Those who come to God honest about where they are. So he says, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I don't want you to miss this. You will be humbled before God one way or the other. And either you will humble yourself before God or he'll bring you to a place where he humbles you. And that's just the way that God works. He'll use those moments in your, your life to bring you to that point. I think the second thing uh, Jacob would say is, you know, you gotta lose yourself to find yourself. You really gotta go all in. Like your life is never gonna be all that you hoped it would be until you Learn to let go of it, every bit of it. Jesus says in Mark chapter eight, verse 34, he's calling to the crowd to join as a disciple. In fact, this is what we do every single weekend. We point you to Jesus. We point you to, to following him. And some of us, we're just in the crowd, just kind of checking things out, just bystanders. And God's inviting you today really to a deeper place, a deeper understanding of who he is out of the crowd as his disciple. And God tells us how anyone who wants to go from the crowd to a disciple, he must come to me, the Bible says, and let me lead. Stop driving. It says, you are not in the driver's seat anymore. I am, is what Jesus says. He continues on in verse 35. And if you try to hang on to your life, you're gonna lose it anyway. Some of you should realize that. The more you try to hold on, the more you end up losing. But if you give it up, if you let go of control, for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Something you'll hear us say a lot around here, uh, a phrase that we often use is just go all in. You know, just, just go all in. I invite people all the time, hey, just give us a year and run the plays. Give us a year and do everything that's available to you, and I promise you, your life will, will look different. Give us a year. Jump into a small group because you're going to need one. You will go through a season of your life. You'll go through some testing where you will need somebody to come alongside you and encourage you. So get into a small group. Give it a year. Get into a, uh, go through crash course. Give us four Sundays. That's it. Four Sundays, you know, out of, out of 52. Are they 52 weeks in a year? Yeah, I think that's right. Give us four, 
and we'll, we'll feed you and, and watch your little ones, but to help you discover your next steps on your journey. We don't do it because it's a fun thing to do. We do it because you need it. And then I say, jump in a serve team for a year. Like get connected, like, like serve. Make, see what kind of difference and impact that you can make. Run the place for a year and I promise you'll be different. Your life will look different if you go all in. You're gonna lose your old life and find a new life that God has for you. And we can't be who God created us to be when we constantly try to hold on to the things we think we should be. God has a better plan for you. I was uh, reading through Ezekiel, and there's this, this passage in, in Ezekiel where he talks about uh, kind of like our Christian faith is like going off into a river. And where some of us, you know, are willing to kind of get up to the bank and maybe get in a little bit just up to our ankles. And so we're kind of in, just testing the waters, checking things out, you know, but not, not really invested, all right? And that, that might be where some of you are. But then he said others would kind of get in and go up to their knees. And they're kind of half in, half out. Those are the ones that would say, I go to church I want to be a Christian. You know, I want to, uh, I definitely don't want to go to hell. Don't want that part, you know, but, but I don't want really God messing with these other sides of my life. So I'm going to get in a little bit. And then he says, the only time you will truly find your life are those that are willing to venture out deeper into the water to the point where your feet no longer touch. He says, because it's at that moment that you come off the bottom and you allow the current of God to lead your life. And that's the only place that you're ever going to find true life. Go out deeper. Go out where you can't stand. Like, like give the creator of all control over all of your life. And here's what I promise you. You'll find a new strength for living. God will give you a new identity. In fact, he'll put you back to your original identity that he has planned for your life. He'll give you He'll give you a, an internal joy that can't be taken from, from you by anyone or anything. And so some of you find yourself in that place of, of brokenness, and that's all right. Just know that it's in that moment that God will bring you through a, a breakthrough. So let's do this. Would you bow your heads? Let's, let's look at our lives right now. Where are you in the water? Are you on the edge? Are you ankle deep? Are you trying to hold on to so much of your life and so many things in one hand and aren't willing to let go of some other things? Are you kind of halfway in? You're in a group maybe, but you're not consistent. You're kind of reading scripture a little bit, but not consistent. Maybe just enough when you need it to kind of feel good about where you are. Or are you willing to go all the way into where you can't touch anymore? and allow the current of God to give you new strength, to lift you, to take you where he wants to go, for you to be all in, because that's the only place where God will give you that strength, where God will give you that identity, where God will give you that, that joy. So where are you? And while we're praying, there are those of you, here's why you're here, you're still on the bank. You haven't stepped in, you haven't even taken the first step with Jesus yet, you haven't even confessed him as Lord and Savior of your life. You're still trying to drive. You're still trying to control the outcomes of your life. I have a question for you, how's it going?
How is it working out so far? Because I think the reason why you're here is because you're looking for something more. You, you can't continue on the same path that you're headed. Well, Jesus says, here's the offer, come to me, those who are weak and weary, and let him give you a new strength to work in, a new yoke, a new strength to, to operate in, one that won't tire you out, but one that will fill you, one that will give you a power for living. And the way we do that, the way we come to Jesus and, and, and begin a relationship with him is we confess our sins and we believe that Jesus died for us and that he rose again on the cross for us. And in that moment, the Bible says that we will be saved. I'm gonna invite you to do that just now. I'm not gonna invite you to join a church. I'm not gonna invite you to come up front. Right where you're sitting, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer that goes something like this. If that's you today, you can pray it out loud or you can whisper it to God. Say something like this, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Take control, all of it. I'm done. I can't do this on my own. Forgive me for doing it on my own. Forgive me for all the ways I've fallen short. Today, I trust in you for the forgiveness of my sins, and I trust in you for salvation. I confess you as Lord and Savior. Just tell him that one more time. I confess you as Lord and Savior of my life, and I believe that God raised you from the dead, so right here I'm being raised to a new life in Christ. Strengthen me. Give me a new name in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, if you'd say, Colby, I just prayed that with you maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time and recommit my life to Jesus, I wanna pray for you. Right now, would you just shoot up your hand wherever you are in this room? Just wanna see who I'm praying with. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands all across this room saying, you know what? I'm getting this right today. I'm surrendering total control to Jesus. I'm allowing him to save me and forgive me. You can put your hands down. God, I pray for those this morning that said yes to following you, that surrendered their lives completely to you, that right now you would strengthen them, that the seeds that have been planted would grow, that this would be good soil for them to take that next step in following you, that you would change their name, give them a new identity, give them a new strength, give them this internal joy to operate out of and let faith fill them and rise up in their lives in Jesus' mighty name. We are always encouraged to know that God is using Elevate to bless people's lives. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, share your story online at elevatechurch.com.